meeting, and that is to come together with the people of God, to be able to worship God, and we hope and trust that our worship and our service will be acceptable this evening. Let me first of all express to the elders my appreciation for you asking me to come and to uh, have a part in this series of, of meetings. I looked at all the other preachers that you've already had. You've had a lot of really good gospel preachers and a lot of good students of the Word of God, and uh, I know that they have uh, did an excellent job in the presentation of God's Word. I just hope I can add something to that along with what they've already done and hope that you'll be encouraged by the by the lesson this evening. But I want to express to them my appreciation. And you've asked me to come on, on several different occasions, and so I, that means a lot to me. It's encouraging to me. And uh, we I appreciate that uh, very, very much, and I appreciate all you being here. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg and Cindy and their family are just some of my... Uh, favorite people that I consider them the very best of my friends that I know of. I met Greg back in about 93 or 94. My mother still doesn't like Greg. And the reason that my mother doesn't like Greg, he took me off to Russia. And she never has forgotten that. She probably has now. Her mind is not working real good, so she's probably forgotten that and forgiven Greg. But uh, she used to pick at him all the time about that. So, But my mother stays with me, and that's where my wife's at tonight taking care of my mother so that I can come and come and preach to you. And I uh, uh, appreciate her doing that because if not, then it would be very difficult for me to, me to be away. But uh, uh, my wife is a, a real jewel taking care of my mother, and uh, so uh, I appreciate her doing that so I can come. I want us to think about... Uh, uh, about six passages of scriptures uh, uh, tonight as we... As we study, Greg, is this on? Did I get it on? And really it's talking about do not lose heart. As I said, I want us to notice some things that's said in the Bible concerning that. One we find in Luke 18 in verses 1, and we'll come back to this a little bit later. It was there that Jesus, he said he, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. I believe that's a real possibility for those who are the people of God that we can lose heart. I dare say that you know somebody at some time and at some point that indeed has given up faith and have gone back into the ways of the world that once were faithful children, they've lost heart. And I want us to look at these passages together tonight and notice the context and the setting of these things as we look at them. And I think there's some valuable things that we can learn from those expressions. Think about that expression itself. We find it used six times in the Scripture. Do not lose heart. Now, the King James translates that a little different in some passages. And even the New King James, which I'm reading from, does as well on occasion or two. We find it in Luke 18 in verses 1 where we just read from. And it's also found in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and verses 16, Galatians 6 verse 9, Ephesians 3 verses 13, and in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verses 13. Now we're going to look at every one of those eventually. I'm not going to read them in the beginning, but we'll look at those passages together and we'll notice that there are some reasons why people lose heart sometimes. But then there are also, given within those texts, some preventative measures that you and I 
can take so that that does not happen to us. As I said, the King James uses, translates it not to faint or faint not four times or not to, uh, to be weary, uh, be not weary on another occasion. The expression itself, the definition of that is, according to AMG in their word study, to turn out to be a coward, to lose one's courage. But then he goes on and says in the New Testament generally to be faint-hearted or to faint or to despond, to be faint-hearted, to despair over the situation or the circumstances that they may find themselves in in life. And then he says, in view of trials or of difficulties. Do we all have difficulties in life? Well, sure, we all have difficulties. Can we lose heart because of the difficulties that we are facing or the things that we're dealing with? Now, let me encourage you not to think that you're an exception to that rule and know that can't happen to me because it can happen to me. It can happen to you. Because the Bible warns us about this, and if the Bible warns you and I about this situation, then certainly it's something that we're faced with, and it can happen to us. And so we need to be aware of that. Thayer, in his word study, says to be weary in anything or to lose courage, to flag, or faint. Now certainly, as I said, this is a reality that we're facing with. And I'm sure that you know someone that has indeed lost heart. Let me just give you an illustration of one that I personally know of. Some years ago, there was a young man who came to me, and I studied with him, and he was baptized into Christ, he and his wife both. They had three children. Later, the older of, the, uh, of his, their children actually obeyed the gospel as well. And because of their obedience to the gospel of Christ, they had influenced his mother and father. His father had been in religious era, and he came out of religious era, and he was worshiping God as God instructs. And his mother never had responded to the gospel, and as a result of what he had done and his wife had done, that it influenced his mother to obey the gospel as well, and she was baptized in Christ also. And then some years later, there were several difficulties in his life. One problem that he had is that he had some very severe health issues. And it was a good possibility that at some future time that he would need a kidney transplant. And he was a relatively young man and he had to give up his job. And as a result of the difficulties that he was facing, he began to question whether or not there even was a God. And I remember on occasion sitting and talking with him and having that discussion with him about, yes, there is a God. And just because we're facing problems and suffering in life, that doesn't mean that there's not a God and that God doesn't love and that God doesn't care. But God's there for us and God will help us. But soon he lost heart. And he fell away. He's not faithful. His wife is not faithful. His son is not faithful. His dad died, and his mother is not faithful. Is it a real possibility that a person could lose heart? Though at one time they all were very faithful. Faithful servants of the Lord. You know situations just like that, don't you? 
And there's others. We could multiply that many times over. Because that's a real possibility that can happen, and it does happen. And the Bible warns us concerning that. Now, there are a number of things, as we look at these verses together, those six verses, there are a number of things within the text itself that points out that there are reasons behind a person losing heart. There's causes of that. And so if you and I know the causes, and if we know the preventative measures that the Bible has stated to us, that we can take to prevent that, then it will help us to make sure and to ensure that our faith is not destroyed and that we can be faithful and we can be loyal and when life is over, heaven can be our home. You're interested in heaven tonight. That's the reason that you're here. You want to be saved. I don't believe you would be here if that wasn't the case on a night like this. But your presence is an indication that you're concerned about that, and we should be. But now let's think about some of the things that causes one to lose heart. One is, the Bible says that the outward man is perishing. Isn't it any fun to get old? Someone asked me this, that question just a, just a few days ago. It's not much fun, is it? Does the body begin to wear out? Does that happen? My mother is 89, and when I see her sometimes, I'm extremely sad when I see the condition that she's in, because I know how she once was, and she's just a shell of the person that she was. But that's true with me as well. I'm getting that way also. He said, therefore, if we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet, he says, the inward man is being renewed day by day. It's interesting that Paul says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet he said, we're not losing heart. Paul didn't lose heart over that fact. But that tells us that it can cause some to lose heart. Have you ever seen some quit serving God because of their age and because of their inability to do the things that they once did, that they're no longer faithful to God because the outward man is indeed perishing. That happens, doesn't it? People once were faithful and sitting in those pews, and now they're not faithful, and now they're not sitting in those pews, and the reason they're not is because of their health. Now, I understand if they can't be here, but a lot of people could be here. And or not. A few weeks ago, I was visiting in a gospel meeting, and the fellow that was preaching was an older fellow. He was in his 80s. He was preaching, and he made a comment. I hadn't observed this. Of course, I wasn't standing in front. I, I was just visiting. He was looking out in the audience, and he could see the audience play. He was commending those who had come with walkers and various things. There were a number of people that was there that night that were having a lot of physical problems, and that was apparent. But that's not always true with some, is it? I remember in Nashville visiting an older gentleman and his wife who wasn't at church services on one Sunday morning. And when I got fairly close to his house, I could see his house down the street from where I was at. 
And I noticed that he had a ladder that was leaning up against his house. His neighbor was there with him, and he was showing his neighbor how he could climb that ladder. You know where he wasn't that morning, though? He wasn't at church services. When I got there and pulled in the drive, he fell backwards as if he couldn't hardly walk. How sad that is. What had happened? See, that can happen to us. And our outward man is perishing. Yet he says the inward man is being renewed day by day. The English Standard Version translates it this way. He said... So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. It is wasting away. There's a number of things that happens to us as we get old. I suppose the best description of age and what happens to us when we get old is contained in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 5. Now, I read various commentaries on this particular verse, and now they have different views of some of the things that are said within this, these verses, but you cannot miss the point that the wise man is making here. You cannot miss that. He said, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the street and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also they are afraid of heights and of terror in the way. He said, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and desire fails. He said, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. You cannot miss the point that he's making there. Look what he says. He said, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble, most people believe that he's talking about the hands and the arms. Have you ever seen someone have the tremors or Parkinson's? What happens? Or even just getting older, do they have the strength and the ability that they once had? He said, the strong man bows down. I went to the doctor not too long ago, and he asked me how tall I was. Now, I told him how tall I used to be. I'm not quite that tall anymore. What's happened? You kind of shrink a little bit, don't you? You kind of bend over just a tiny bit more and more as you get older. The grinders are few. Teeth. Have as many teeth as you once did. You know, I have some that really doesn't belong to me, I suppose. I'm not sure where they came from. But I was not born with them. I'll say that. And he said, and those that look through the window, he says, grows dim when the doors are shut in the streets. The eyesight, the hearing is not as good as it once was. And you see, because all of these things happen to us as we get older, we certainly can lose heart because of the fact that our outward man is indeed perishing. But we have to be like Paul, yet the inward man 
It's being renewed. If we will let it be renewed. But that's one of the causes. Even doing good. He said, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now you see that word lose heart here? That's not our Greek word that we're looking at. It's in the first part of that expression. Let us not grow weary. Similar, similar word in definition at least. But growing weary is the expression in this particular verse. He said, while doing good. Now, why does one grow weary, or why does one lose heart while doing good? Do people give up and lose heart because it involves self-denial? Because it's no longer about self, it's about serving God. It's about emptying self, and it's about crucifixion of self. And do people grow weary... Because they're not willing to deny self any longer. You know, sometimes people lose heart because their interests are diverted. And they're not willing to do good anymore. They become weary while doing good. You know, I have other interests. There are things that concern me more. You know, Jesus tells us about that in the when he was talking about the parable of the seed or the parable of the sower. You know, we get so involved in things of the world that we lose sight of what's truly important and we stop doing good because our interests are diverted away from what we should be doing and that's faithfully loving and serving God. That happens a lot, doesn't it? And so, we can become weary while doing good. You know, sometimes when we do good, do you think our effort is appreciated? Not always, is it? Do you think it's appreciated by those that maybe that we're doing good toward? But you know, if we're doing it simply because we might be appreciated, we're doing it from the wrong reason to start with. We ought to be doing it because that's what God tells us to do, and not because of the glory that might be associated with it. Good. But some grow weary because the effort is not appreciated. You know, some may grow weary while doing good, because they do not see immediate results from the efforts that are being put forth. You don't always see immediate results, do you? But some grow weary while doing good. That's one of the causes of losing heart, of growing weary. Even while doing the right thing in Second Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 15. He said, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary. There's our expression. Do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I like something that Walton Weaver says in his commentary on First and Second Thessalonians. He said, doing the right thing often involves more than showing generosity or practicing charity toward those in need. He said the majority of the faithful are also to do the right thing by withdrawing themselves from every brother who walks disorderly. Do people become weary of doing that? Do churches become weary of doing that? 
Did they get tired of having to note and withdraw and withhold fellowship from those that are not faithful and are not right in the sight of God? Did they become weary while doing that? And do they stop doing that sometimes? Well, yes. That happens, then. He said in back, following the example of Paul and his associates in working to provide for themselves, verses 7, 8, and 9. He said, by not giving food to one who will not work, verse 10. He said, by noting such a person and having no company with him, and by not counting him as an enemy, but admonishing him as a brother. See, that's all doing good, isn't it? You know, some people get weary of doing this. And are not willing to do those things anymore. You know, sometimes when it involves family members that a church has had to withdraw from, they've marked and noted, do you get tired and weary of not associating with them? And you just decide, well, I'm going to start associating with them again. Is that what the Bible tells you to do? Or do you get weary of doing what's right and lose heart? Stop doing what the Lord tells you to do. Which is, see the context and the setting of this verse? Do people become weary even doing what the Lord tells them to do? Knowing that's the right thing to do. But you're just not going to do it. Please do not lose heart. The fourth thing, sometimes the hardships that we face in life. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1, he said, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, Paul says. But was there a real possibility that some could lose heart because of the work that God had given them to do? Notice what he said a little later in this text, in verses 8 through verses 12. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always uh, delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. Do you get worried because of the difficulties in life that you're facing? The illustration that I used in the very beginning, and it seems like that's exactly what happened at that time. Did he have difficulties in life? Well, yes, he had a lot of difficulties in life. Did he become weary because of the difficulties that he was facing? Well, yes. Jesus, you remember in Luke 8, once again, and talking about that parable of the seed, or the sower there. He said, when persecution arises, some fall away. Some fall away. Have you ever seen people give up their faith because of the problems and the hardships of life that they're having to endure? I know a man over toward East Tennessee. I'm not sure if he was ever a faithful Christian or not. I... I want to think that he was, but he had a son that got killed in a car wreck. And he was never interested in anything religious from that moment forward. The church at Lewisburg, there at Hickory Heights, I 
there's more people in that congregation that have experienced catastrophic things in their family family's life than any church that I've ever known. I knew of one family that was there. They had two sons, and they both got killed at the same time. They hit a gravel truck head-on and killed them both instantly. I've never mentioned it to them since I've been there, but they have talked to me about it, and I just listened. Saddest funeral I ever went to in my entire life. I went to the funeral years ago, several years ago. The father made this observation. He said, Satan has tried his best to destroy our faith, and we're determined that he's not. They're strong, faithful Christians. They did not lose heart. Lesser people, that could happen. But this is what the Lord's telling us. He said, we're going to face hardships and difficulties in life. He said, but do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. There are a lot of difficult things that we face in life. Sometimes it's because of problems that others are facing. He said, therefore, if I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation, Paul said, for you, which is your glory. Have you ever seen someone lose heart because of the difficulties that somebody else is facing? You know, it could be somebody in your family because they're facing difficulties, because they're having problems, and because you, you may think, well, God is, God is sending this. Yes, He's allowing this to happen. But because of that, it destroys your faith. Don't let that destroy your faith. Because it can. But you know, Paul was writing and telling him not to lose heart because of what's happened to me. Because he wasn't going to lose heart. And we'll say more about that in just a few few moments. Now then, I want to share some preventative things to you. It's very easy for us to see. That this, this can really happen. And it can happen to us. If it happened to them, it can happen to us. Now, but he gives us some preventative measures in these verses so that that does not happen to us. And so that our faith is not destroyed. So that we're not faint-hearted. And so that we don't give up, but so that we can press on. And so that by the grace of God, we can save our soul and spend eternity with our Father. Now, I want to suggest some things to you from these verses, as I say. Now, let's look at some preventative measures. One of the things is that we need to remember, and that is that God has been merciful to us all, that every single one of us. Look at this again. He said, therefore, since we have received this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart. Has God been good to you? How good has he been to you? Has he been merciful to you? Has He been long-suffering with you? Has He been patient toward you? Has He blessed you physically, materially? Has He given you an abundance of material possessions? But the greatest thing that He ever did for you is that He gave His Son for you so that you could be saved. He's been merciful to you. 
just like he has me. I'm amazed sometimes how patient and long-suffering God is with me. I do not deserve it at all. And I am ashamed of myself sometimes because of my faults and failures. But I am in awe of my God because he is merciful to me. I am not worthy of it. But he is so merciful and loving and caring. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. He said, For I am the least of the apostles whom I am not worthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, he said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and, by, and his grace toward me was not in vain. He said, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Just stop sometimes and think about how merciful and good God has been to you. Think about the provisions that He's made for you. Think about all the things that you have. I've heard people through the years talk about the grandkids. How great grandkids are. The only way you can ever appreciate grandkids is when you have them. Someone told me this some time ago. Said if we knew how to get great, the grandkids were, we would just skip the kids and went right to the grandkids. Well, that, that might be true, but it doesn't work that way, does it? No, we appreciate the kids, too. Marshall and Lee come see us sometimes. They tell us, and they've told us this on occasion, said, You're not interested in seeing us, you're just interested in seeing Canaan and Riley. Said, Well, we are interested in seeing Canaan and Riley, but we do love you, too. And then we go play with Canaan and Riley. God gives us. That's my point. He's explaining it. It's a wonderful thing to have family and friends, to be a part of a spiritual body like this. But to have those spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus and understand that God has been so merciful and kind and good to me. And He's been that to every single one of us. That is a preventative measure to keep us from losing heart. Another thing that we can see is, and that is that we will reap in due season. You know, we don't reap right now. Have you ever seen the little article about the seven laws of harvest? You ever read that? That's a pretty interesting little article. I ran across it the other day. I'll share a few of those things with you in just a moment. But notice what Paul said. He said, do not be deceived. He said, God is not mocked. He said, for whatever a man sows, that he, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. There's that expression. He said, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let us not grow weary. We're eventually going to reap. You know, the seven laws of harvest goes something like this. We reap only what we have sown. We reap the same in kind that we have sown. We reap in a different season than we have sown. We reap more than we have sown. We reap in proportion to what we have sown. We reap the full harvest, whether it would be good or evil. And we cannot do anything about last year's harvest. 
We sow now, but do we reap now? No. Maybe in some sense. But what Paul's talking about here, he says, but he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. You know, that should be motivation for not growing weary. It's everlasting life. What's the opposite of everlasting life? Eternal damnation. Eternal damnation. Do you think if God could just open up the fires of hell and let us look in it for just a little bit, that that would motivate us to make sure that we don't want to do it? But you know he has. He's given us a word picture of hell and how bad it is. And one thing is that you cannot do once you're there. Motivation for doing wrong. Read in the book of Revelation the description that John gives us of heaven. I believe we have a materialistic view sometimes of heaven. Don't you think that? Don't you think we have a materialistic view of heaven? Of heaven? You know, what did we say? Oh, we said, streets paved with pure gold. You know, the gates are up there. The foundation of the, the, the city itself is all those precious stones. Is that what you see when you, when you think about heaven? No, the true beauty of heaven is who's there. It's God is there. Our Savior is there. Our Revelator is there. And all those righteous men and women who have ever loved and served God, they're there. That's the true beauties of heaven right there. As we'll get together around the throne and worship God throughout eternity. Motivation or preventatives. The mercy of God, reaping in due season. We'll reap if we remain faithful. We reap what we sow. Another preventative is focusing on heaven. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, I'm going to tell you that's a little hard for me to relate to. Paul called all the things that he went through life. I think you see something that was a heavy burden in the life of Paul. But he said it's nothing more than that. Now the reason that he says that, he said it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, this is a preventative measure to keep us from losing heart, and that is to keep our eyes focused on heaven and where we're going when this life is over. Yeah, I'm only here for a few years, just like you, all of us are. How old do you think you'll be when you leave this world? Do you think you'll ever live to be a hundred? You think you will? I don't think I'll ever make it. And that's okay. Greg has a different view on age. I get, get him to tell you sometime. <laughs> he says 70 is a pretty good age, I think. I remember him saying that. I understood what he was talking about, though. You know, I don't think any of us want to live to be an old age and not be in good health. And I think that's what Greg was talking about. He and I have talked about this before. 
But you know, even if I live to be a hundred years old, what is that in comparison to eternity? That's nothing. That's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So what I have to do is I have to make sure that I keep my eyes focused on heaven and realize that my life here is going to end, but I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. I'm either going to spend it in heaven or in hell. And I have to make sure that my focus is on heaven and going to heaven to spend eternity there gathered around the throne of God, worshiping and serving Him. That's something that will help me. Not to lose heart of knowing I have something much better that's awaiting me when this life is over. Is my outward man perishing? Yes. I have aches and pains and hurts that I never dreamed I would have, but I have them now. I uh, borderline diabetic. That was diagnosed a couple of years ago, so I have to walk. Now. I have to watch what I eat. Now. I go walk. I walk a couple of miles a day, and usually five days. But the next day, I am so so. Even though I've been walking for a long time, my feet hurt, my back hurts. And I generally hurt pretty well all over. That's a sign of age, isn't it? I'm getting older. My body doesn't function as well as it is. But I have to keep focused on heaven. Because there's where I want to go. And that's where you want to go as well, isn't it? Something else. You know, one of the preventative measures is the encouragement that we get from other people, isn't it? Paul said in Ephesians 3, verses 13, he said, Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. You know, Paul's writing to this church, and he says, I I don't want you to lose heart at my tribulation. He was writing to encourage them. In Philippians 2, verses 19 through 22, he said, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Do you think that the words that Paul penned here, do you think that that was something that encouraged him? Do you think that he encouraged those at Philippine when they received this letter and that Paul was concerned and interested in them? You know, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. And he was that. You remember when Paul needed someone to defend him before the church at Jerusalem? Who was it that defended Paul? Was it Barnabas? And you remember, even when there was the problem that Paul experienced with John Mark. And Paul didn't want to take John Mark with him, and of course he refuses to do that. But who was it that took John Mark with him? Wasn't it Barnabas that did that? Wasn't he the son of encouragement? Did he encourage John Mark? And Paul even commenced Mark later. I wonder if he had been that if it hadn't have been for Barnabas. You know, there are just some people that have a way with words. 
that can encourage you when you feel low and you just want to give up. Back in the early 80s, somewhere along around 82, 1982 or 1983, I'd been preaching for about two or three years. I was preaching at Chapel Hill. Sylvia and I were still living in Bedford County at that time in Shebbeville. We drove home on Sunday night, and I told Sylvia on the way home, I said, I'm not going to preach anymore. I decided to quit. I don't even recall why I was discouraged. I don't even remember that. But I remember what I told her. On Monday afternoon, there was a car pulled in my drive, and there were two people that got out and came in my house, and they sat and talked to me for a while. They could tell I was discouraged about something. And they came and sat and talked with me. You know, when they were left, I was as encouraged as I possibly could have been and was as determined as I possibly could be never to quit preaching the gospel. It took the words of those two people just to sit and talk to me for a little while, and it encouraged me greatly. Has anybody ever done you that way? Think about what you can say to somebody else and encourage them. Look around you sometimes. You see people down. See them a little discouraged. They're not from the That's the time that you need to talk to That's the time that you need to say something. It might just be that that prevents them from losing heart and losing their faith. God expects that of us. Words are a powerful tool. And so use our mouths for something good to encourage others as well. Then pray. Pray. Someone shared this with me a long time ago. And I shared it with you. How do you and I feel when someone's getting a weak experience? Do we usually see them slapping attendance? Isn't that the first thing you and I say? It's pretty well what you and I say. But you want to know how to tell when you personally are getting weak. And you're not really as strong as you should be when you're not praying like you should. You take time out of your daily life to pray to God? Do you find time to pray? Someone told me a little story just the other day about one of our members. We have an older couple. There he's at the nursing home right now. His wife is the kindest person I've ever met in my life and the most humble lady I've ever met. I, I knew her a long time before I ever lived with her. But she's one of the most kind, gentle, humble people that I've ever seen. One told me back several years ago that you remember when the Lord tells us to pray in her closet, to go in her closet? She took that literally. She had children who stayed with her, and she made them go in the closet and pray. I guess that was a pretty good place to pray. She prayed. You go see her instead. You ask her, is there anything we can do for her? Anything we can She said, yes, yes. She said, you can pray for her. She asked you that. You know, I don't think we pray nearly as much as we should be praying. 
Do you think we get together as a body of God's people and pray like we should pray? I don't think so. I don't think we pray near enough. But you know, prayer is a preventative to help us so that we do not lose heart. God hears and answers the prayers of His people. He spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. He said, Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, he said, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? What was he telling them to do? Pray. How often was he telling them to pray? Continually pray. Continually plead. He said, here was a person that didn't even believe in God and didn't regard man. And he said, if he responded, he said, what will God the Father do if we pray to him? He'll respond. He'll respond. We ought to pray, not lose heart. It'll help strengthen us. You know, then knowing the Lord is with us. 2 Thessalonians 3, I want you to notice verses 13. He said, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Same expression. But now notice what he says in verses 16. He said, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Just knowing that the Lord is with you. Knowing that the Lord cares. Knowing that the Lord hears. Knowing that the Lord is interested in me, that He's concerned about me, is a preventative measure to keep me from losing all. Have you ever thought about us being adopted into the family of God? You have people here that adopted children. You know, there's a lot of churches and that have people that have adopted children. You know, when you adopt a child, you want that child to be a part of your family. Isn't that the reason that you adopt a child? Because you want that child and you want that child to be a part of your family? But do you realize that God wants you to be a part of His family? That's the reason why He says He'll adopt you. You ever thought of it in that long? He wants you to be a part of His family. He cares for you. And He'll be with you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The rich man Lazarus died. You remember it just talks about the rich man he was buried, but it said angels came and took Lazarus to Abraham's blessing. Did he leave Abraham? Uh, did he leave Lazarus by himself? Or did he send someone careful? Even in death. See, just knowing that the Lord is there, knowing that the Lord knows me, the Lord loves me and cares for me, it's something that will prevent me from losing heart. See, it's a real possibility 
that that can happen. But God has given us several things to prevent that from occurring. I want to share one final thought with you. There was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. And he wrote a song. And I'll tell you the song in just a few minutes. Spafford's life was greatly affected by a series of traumatic things that had happened to him and happened uh, to him and his family. One of the first things that happened, he had a son who was four years of age, died in 1870 from scarlet fever. Later, the fires of Chicago destroyed the buildings that he had purchased and ruined him financially. And what he had left financially later from acquiring properties in Chicago, his business interests took a nosedive and he, from the economic downturn in 1873, and that pretty well finished him off financially. Spafford, though, after those experiences, decided to leave for Europe with his family, and so he was had three daughters. And, of course, as they were about to leave for Europe, and they were about to board the ship to leave, there was some unfinished business that he had to go back to Chicago very quickly for to take care of, and so he decided that he would send his wife and his three daughters home to Europe. And as the wife and the daughters had boarded the ship, and as they were traveling, transversing the Atlantic Ocean, they hit another ship. And within 12 minutes, the ship that they were on sunk. And the only one that survived out of that attack was his wife. He sent him a telegraph and says, only one survived. Come quickly. He boarded the next ship across the Atlantic Ocean. And as he was on the ship and as the, they told him where that ship that his daughters had drowned, where it had gone down, and he penned this hymn. See if you recognize He wrote the words to this hymn while looking for his daughters of friends. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea go over, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well. It is well in my soul. Recognize 626. He said, though Satan should buffet Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and have shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, bliss of this glorious cross. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And the Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trunks shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well.
it is well with my soul. Did he lose heart? No. Though there were tragic things that happened in his life, he did not. And there may be a lot of tragic things that happens to us in our lives. But brethren, do not lose heart. Not only is your soul at stake, but the soul of those who know you and love you are at stake as well. I was sitting this afternoon just looking at my computer, and there's a picture of my little grandson on my computer. And I often think this. How could I possibly ever, ever do anything that would cause that little fellow to lose his soul? That inspires me to want to do what's right, if nothing else. But because God loves me. But he loves you too. And he wants to save your soul. And he does not want you to lose heart. But he wants you to press on. So brethren, keep pressing on. Keep loving and serving God. Be faithful to him. And if we never see each other again, I hope to see you over on the other side. Are you a Christian? If not, become one. Why not through faith repent of your sins? Confess your faith that you believe that Jesus is Lord. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. If you've done that and not lived faithfully, you may have lost heart at some time and at some point. He makes provision for you to return. If you'll repent of those things that you may be guilty of, confess them freely and openly to the Lord, pray and ask for His forgiveness. He'll forgive you and cleanse you. So if you're here this evening and you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, we hope that you'll come make your way to the front and obey the gospel while you have time and opportunity. Won't you come as we stand together and sing this hymn? Brother Jack, please. And the sea through the ages, but...